0: Welcome back to Spotlight 19. This is Justin Tracy.
1: And Sasha Tracy here. Happy election season.
0: We haven't had an episode for a while, but here we are in late October, middle of impeachment and days away from the start of early voting on October 26th.
1: And you mentioned impeachment. Now, usually we don't talk about President Trump here on Spotlight 19. There's so much available for people to hear about him, and it's the local candidates that really don't get the spotlight. But it was interesting recently in this past week, although it was so great not to have to mention John Faso here on Spotlight 19 after, you know, spending two years obsessively following his every move it was just so fascinating to see that there were these two ukrainians who were arrested in and connected to rudy giuliani uh for these campaign campaign finance violations and one of the men um actually was a donor to john fazzo's campaign
0: yeah what's he gonna do with that money now Um, Maybe he should just give it to Antonio for his 2020 campaign. Anyway, we have a great show for you today. First up is Saja's interview with Ulster County Comptroller Candidate March Gallagher and followed by some audio from our first ever fundraiser here at Spotlight 19 for our friend and Ulster County District Attorney Candidate Dave Clegg. So stick around for this unique... Content that you can't get anywhere else. Here on Spotlight 19. And here is Sarja's interview with Ulster County Comptroller candidate March Gallagher.
1: Today we're here with March Gallagher. She is running for Ulster County Comptroller. If elected, she'll be Ulster County's first female Comptroller and Back in March, when we had our first relaunch after the 2018 midterms, a lot of people, when I was knocking on doors, petitioning getting people on the ballot, their first question was, why is there no female countywide candidate? So as soon as the special election was called, I was really excited to see that there would definitely be a woman countywide candidate. So thank you so much for running.
2: Thank you. Thanks for inviting me here today. Actually, there is an interim controller serving right now, and it is a woman. That is So true. I'll be the first elected yes. woman controller in Thank Ulster. Thank you
1: for that correction. So I think a lot of our listeners don't necessarily know what the Office of Comptroller does. Obviously, it's the chief auditing officer. But I wanted you to let our listeners know, which a lot of our listeners are activists and people that are really looking for change. And when we look across the river to Dutchess County, as an example, I think that Comptroller Robin Lo- Lois, who was elected back in 2017, um, has done some interesting things to implement some of the kind of sea change and liberal policies that some of our listeners are looking for. So I wanted to hear your thoughts on that and hear more of what you might be thinking if, if you're elected.
2: Terrific. So the controller's office um, audits every cl- or checks every claim for payment as they come in. So there's you know people looking daily at every claim coming in. But in addition to that, um, they are or I should say we will be uh, selecting you know five to eight major areas for a deep dive each year through a risk assessment tool that helps us. Figure out what we want to take a look at, and that's proposed in an audit plan at the beginning of the year. And I think that's what you see Robin's work operating under now um, across the river in Duchess County. Interestingly, you know, she really has looked at some areas that were considered sacrosanct that, quote, no one should look at, and those included the airport, the community college. Um, and uh, it really, her work has, I think, really informed the conversation. I mean, if you're looking at the community college and what she was able to identify there, you know, they have significant declining enrollment, and it really is impacting the current budget and operations there and is going to continue to decline in that way. So um, it can allow the county to do much better planning around the community college. So my thought is that um, I'm looking forward to Adopting probably a new risk assessment tool that will help us determine what we want to audit each year. Controller Auerbach had one that he had developed, but I really want to look at whether or not that I think that's suitable. And then start identifying those areas that we think should merit a real deep dive each year.
1: So tell us about one of or some of Ulster County's financial challenges in the upcoming years ahead when you would potentially take office.
2: One area that I really think we're going to need to look at is the Ulster County Jail. I mean, we are behind in revenues, significantly behind, because we lost boardens from Greene County and Dutchess County. And we are seeing, you know, fewer prosecutions. You're going to see fewer marijuana um, people serving, you know, coming in for a marijuana Ticket, And then also on top of that, you're going to see bail reform. So there's going to be, I think, a real decline in the population of Ulster County Jail. And that's an area where we should be looking at what do we do now in, in uh, Albany County. They have actually repurposed a wing of the jail in Albany County to provide homeless services. That was based on a model from another county outside of the state. I look forward to seeing how that actually works and um, And it really does impact the overall operation of the facilities. But I do think taking a hard look at the finances on the jail is going to be critical for the legislature and executive in terms of setting and executing policy and the sheriff's department.
1: So how does it kind of intertwine with I. From my perception, it seems like your politics are liberal, and but for the office of something like comptroller, sometimes you don't get to set those types of liberal policy. You're you're an auditing officer. You know, if you look at the term of County Executive Pat Ryan, he's you know been kind of pushed a lot of progressive policies through his role as county executive. Can you actually intertwine that in your role as comptroller? How do you get your worldview into an office that doesn't really have that type of authority?
2: It's not a policy setting office. It's really going to be focused. My work is going to be focused on protecting the taxpayers and taxpayer dollars for Ulster County, but also making sure we're providing the the best services that we can for the money that we're spending. So, you know, there are people in the community receiving services that aren't necessarily a property taxpayer, but they still deserve the same oversight responsibility from the Comptroller's Office. I do think there is... um, that it does matter what your worldview is, and I'll give you an example why. In Dutchess County, Robin Lewis recently did an analysis of Project More, which is a re-entry program in Dutchess County. That's actually an agency that the Community Foundation Great. has worked with. That's um,
1: actually some, the, what I was thinking of when I posed the question of looking across the river, because her report came out and found that the re-entry program is, Saves money. Is the cost savings. So there's really no reason to incarcerate people in the county jail when you could perhaps use a different county program or
2: certainly not to cut that program thinking that a small cut there is going to be a big savings when a small cut there is going to have a ricochet effect and actually mean more people spending a night in county jail. So I do think, you know, the choice of what you're going to look at each year can be influenced by what your view is in terms of what the purpose of government is, which is from my perspective to serve the people that it's representing.
1: So shifting gears a bit to a different area of the Elster County economy, you recently attended a forum hosted at SUNY New Paltz. It was about short-term rentals, specifically really Airbnb a recent study just showed Ulster County actually leading in the amount of visitors it had in staying in these Airbnbs, in these short-term rentals, and I know it's a topic that you're personally passionate about because it has such a mixed effect on the community. It's good for the community because it's bringing in taxpayer revenue through these visitors who are paying sales tax, but it's also changing the landscape of the communities that have been here. I wanted to know if actually how this plays into your role as comptroller.
2: I mean, I think it does play directly into my role as comptroller because there is a revenue aspect for the county in terms of collecting occupancy tax, which is 2% of overnight stays for anything that's an under 30 day overnight stay. And um, we have had a lot of debate in Ulster County about whether or not we should sign something called the, quote, voluntary collection agreement. That makes it sound like paying the taxes voluntary. That's not the case. It's not. But the ability of the municipality, so that is Ulster County, to enter into an agreement with Airbnb, that's a voluntary agreement we would be entering into with Airbnb for them to collect it. Now... Many other municipalities across the country have entered into that agreement, and some have seen a significant uptick in revenues coming in in occupancy tax. The problem is Airbnb doesn't release any of the background data. You don't know the addresses. You don't know the hosts. You don't know the number of nights, and it makes it impossible to audit. So... We instead in Ulster have hired a company called Bear, Bear Cloud Systems to scour short term rental sites, report to the county, and then the county follows up with those rental sites, or those rental hosts to try to get them to register and pay tax. I think the things that you're talking about are definitely true and demonstrate that. It's not just a revenue issue. It's a quality of life issue because it does impact the housing market and it also impacts neighborhoods like yours. I mean, somebody across the street could have, you know, a, a bachelor party every weekend going on there and be a, an absentee landlord who's not really paying attention. So you see other towns and villages, mostly at the town level right now, throughout the county really looking at imposing regulation on short-term rentals for that reason.
1: So at this same forum on the short-term rental economy, there was a panel that featured four white male speakers. I was really struck by the fact that you actually spoke out publicly at this forum about the lack of representation on this panel and why it is so important at events like this that are discussing the future of communities of color and, you know, and all events in general that there really needs to be a diverse coalition that's giving their thought on these types of topics. Um, So why did you find that you needed to speak out at that that event?
2: I come from a family where I was raised with African-American siblings. A lot of people don't know that about me. But um, so, you know, I just I have a different experience growing up where, you know, we experienced racism against our family day to day. But um, and now I have, um, you know, brother and sister in laws who are married to Latinx folks. So I'm thinking about it all the time. But in that particular setting, you know, that was the first panel of the day. I had five different people in the audience text me about the fact that it was, quote, a manl. One of them sent (laughs) me a note. Um, And uh, I really, for the first time in my life, I'm unshackled. I can say, I report to nobody but myself. So I can get up and say what I think, which is what I did there. And I've had to do a bunch of like... Um, background work now, connecting with people who'd organized it. You know They did reach out to people and try to bring people in, but the truth of the matter is you really need to start earlier, and I think that's what we're recognizing, that setting up your panel and then trying to fill it with people is not the same as bringing people in at the ground level and saying, hey, what do you think this panel should consist of? What should the topic be? Who should be a part of it? And engaging people of color in that conversation at an earlier time. I do feel like I could have written a note on the survey and handed it in. I knew almost everybody on the stage. I know the organizers. But you know what? We're not making change fast enough. And writing a little note is just another little note that's going to get tossed into a, you know, an inbox. We, we need to be speaking out and making it a huge priority right now.
1: So you mentioned your siblings in the beginning of that last question, and I realized that we kind of dove right into the issues. And I wanted to know a little bit more about you. I know that you spent some of your childhood here and are actually one of the people who came back to the area to uh, give back and actually um, start your career or continue your career here in Ulster County. So tell us a little bit about you. Give us the 90-second bio.
2: So I was actually born in Brooklyn. Um, My family was an IBM family and my father was transferred up here and that's how we came. So I moved here when I was three. I, you know, did grow up here largely, although my parents divorced and I spent time in Florida and Hawaii and New Jersey and New York City. So, but I always had, you know, my, my father was always here and I did graduate high school here. I was working in Boston at a white shoe law firm at Ropes and Gray and I had a partner take me aside and say, I want you to know I see my baby one hour a day. And I thought, There's no way. And I also just, I craved the slower um, pace of life here and the more open space. I mean, I just did not have the space that I wanted to be in to raise a family in terms of being able to have a garden and be able to go outside. So that's what really drew me back Um, at the time. My my husband was still working in Boston and we moved to Saugerties and he was going back and forth. And I, I had basically said to him, like, I'll move to Boston for five years. And at year eight, I was like, I'm moving home, (laughs) coming or leaving. Um, And so that was really the story of returning, but I'm so glad that I did. And you know, it, it is harder to make a living here. It's not the same as the Boston market um, or New York or, you know, a major metropolitan area, but it's um, it's so good to be home. I mean, it's just it's night and day. Like, I actually feel like a more complete and better person when I'm in the geography that I enjoy most.
1: We are so lucky to live in such a beautiful place here in Ulster County. So is this your first ever campaign, this campaign for a countywide campaign for Comptroller?
2: No, I ran for town board in Socrates in 2003. Nobody knows this. Um, and interestingly, at the time, it was, you know, three people for two seats. My Republican opponents won it was a whole story with the committee because Socrates Democrats were aligned with the conservative party and I swept the caucus so they didn't expect me to be a candidate and then they didn't support me and then the county committee brought them up on disloyalty charges and I decided at that time I was never going to run again until my kids were much older because it was very vitriolic. Those two candidates who won are now running on the Democratic line like just to lay the whole thing out there, <laughs> Freddie and Leanne, Fred Costello, who's the supervisor, and Leanne Thornton. Um, and we have no hard feelings at all. Um, but I realized that that time in my life where I was raising young children, I couldn't I couldn't make the commitment to the campaign trail. It was way too much. And I, I took an appointment inside of county government, which is a, a different way to serve, and really enjoyed my time there. So um, that's kind of led me back to where I am. And in fact, I was reading a book, this is before Elliot Auerbach announced he was going to step down, I was reading um, Winner's Take All by Anand Jaredis, and you know, the premise of the book is that private philanthropy and private consulting are scooping up good people who want to change the world, and the problems that we face, like inequity and climate change, are just too big, we need government, we need more good people in government, and when I read the book, I felt like he was talking right to me. And I realized that I was in the wrong sector. I was working in philanthropy, and I had been for four years. So, a few weeks later, Elliot announced he was stepping down, and I knew that that was my seat.
1: And uh, as we were coming up in the final weeks before the election, and it's not just election day, it's early voting. We're actually going to have a segment in this same episode that explains early voting to people, because I think it's very important that they understand that you're not confined to that one. Uh, I don't even think it's 12, maybe 14 hour period, uh, 15 hour period. You actually have Two weekends that you can go and vote.
2: And a couple of evenings during the week. Yes. Starting October 26th and running to the election. So it's going to be great.
1: So uh, what can people do? How can they find out more about you? And what do you see as kind of the biggest challenge leading up to uh, the election day slash weeks, I'll say?
2: So my website is MarchForOlster.com, www.MarchForOlster.com. And you can find me on Facebook. It's um, March Gallagher for Ulster County Comptroller. I would say the biggest challenge is meeting as many people as I want. I mean, Ulster County is a big place. You know, the county is physically, you know, working in your position that it's the size of, in geography, of the size of Rhode Island. And, you know, we have 180,000 people, and I'm trying right now to meet as many people as I possibly can, A, to hear what they really care about and what they want in accountability and transparency and oversight, and B, just so they know who I am. So- That's been a real challenge, and you know campaigns take money, so I've been fundraising, Um, but getting around to meet as many people as possible, which is also tremendous fun. I mean, I've met some terrific people out on the campaign trail, and I've gone to some events that I never would have gone to that I've so enjoyed.
1: Well, it's been great to have you. We wish you the best of luck. We'll be working hard. Uh, If anybody would like to canvas with us in Hurley, every week we're uh, Spotlight 19 is hosting canvases. And, you know, there's a lot of places to meet March. I know she's been everywhere. She's been to every corner of the county.
2: Terrific. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it.
0: Thank you for listening to Spotlight 19. We continue now with some audio from... A spotlight 19 event. This is Dave Clegg, recorded actually on somebody's cell phone, uh, but you can hear clearly uh, what he's about, and we hope you will join us in electing him our new Ulster County District Attorney.
3: So I'm Dave Clegg. I am running for District Attorney in our county, and I always start off by saying, for those who care about democracy, and 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 let's. Talk about the Democratic Party at the same time, that the last time there was a Democrat in this seat of District Attorney in our county was 1850. Oh 1850. So, Sojourner Truth was walking around the last time there was a Democrat there. There has been decades and decades of a war on drugs, right? That has failed. There has been decades and decades of tough on crime district attorneys who have incarcerated too many people, have criminalized too many people, have decimated our most vulnerable communities, and have worked to the disadvantage of our entire county because we could be rehabilitating people at the same time that we're incarcerating them. And it is seven times more expensive, for those who care about how much you're paying taxes, seven times more expensive, to incarcerate than it is to rehabilitate. Now, I've I've talked about this and I don't think it's that hard to figure out. If you rehabilitate a human being, they come back in the community, they are productive, their family has a a security that they don't have otherwise, the community is better, it's served on all levels, and yet we have not been paying attention to that. Now, I come from a different place. I was somebody who fought against racial injustice at the start of my career the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, challenging the death penalty was being disproportionately applied against people of color. Then working with the Lakota Sioux out in Pine Ridge and and in Nebraska where people who were Native Americans were being pummeled, basically, by the criminal justice system, being treated as if they were second class citizens. Over and over again, I brought civil rights cases, I brought criminal cases, I defended people who were being unjustly uh, convicted, and I brought jail class action lawsuit where they were treating people in the Sheridan County Jail in a way that was not humane, and so I was successful at that time as a twenty-six and twenty-seven year old. I worked after that for the legal services and brought a habeas corpus case, which, which saved a man named Kenny Hawkman. If you ever look it up, look up Hawkman versus Parrott. If you want to take a look at a at a case that's interesting, he was shot two times by a rancher. And yet, he was charged with four felonies. His public defender told him to plead guilty to all four felonies. He wound up serving 20 years in jail, or sentenced to 20 years in jail. Fortunately, they got to me. I brought a federal court case, won the case in federal court, and then won it in the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals. And it actually set new standards for representing Native American, because there are language barriers as well as jurisdictional barriers when you have things witnesses on the witnesses on the reservation that they were not paying attention to so anyway that's where i come from nine years as a public defender back in the days of crack cocaine and the aids epidemic when every person who was coming before me oh and i'd say 80 percent of them had addiction problems were their lives were on the line uh they were at risk and i was fighting an uphill battle to get these people rehabilitation now forward Thirty years later, and we still have the same question. We have an opioid crisis that's been going on for a decade. Our district attorney's office had not paid attention to it. There have been diversion programs going on all around us, in Orange County, in Dutchess County, in Albany County, down in New York City, that are diverting people with addiction, getting them treatment, getting them support, getting them follow-up, and avoiding criminalization for those people who are low-level possession of drugs and finding a way to bring them back in the community. We have not participated in that in our county. We have really neglected the the opportunities that the district attorney had to make a difference in fighting the opioid crisis. And it's time for that to change. We have a sheriff in Juan Figueroa who's actually stepping forward and doing something about it. Lots of people talk about it, but he's doing something about it. He's putting something in place and he needs a partner and he he wants me to be that partner to be there with him to make sure that I have his back and he has my back when we go out there and we treat addicted people as a public health issue and not as a criminal issue and that's what we need to do in our community we had the highest per capita rate of people dying from overdose in Ulster County in 2018 that is a shameful thing for us to, to face and it's time for us to change that now I will say this is a tough race, as I just said. Uh, Mike Cavanaugh's father was a district attorney here for 20 years. They are playing dirty right now. I am talking about issues. I am talking about how we can move criminal justice forward. I am talking about how we can be both just and compassionate, save uh, the people who can be saved, and at the same time protect public safety. We can do all these things and make our community safer, but believe it or not, our our opponent wrote a letter and some of you may have gotten one that talked about something that I've been talking about for a long time. Now restorative justice is something I believe in. It, It holds people accountable, it repairs the harm to the victim, it brings the person a chance to redeem themselves and come back into the community in a positive way. I've been doing this in the school system as a chair of the Human Rights Commission for the last five years. So what does Michael Cavanaugh say about restorative justice? He calls it reformative justice. So our next DA doesn't even know what restorative justice is or how to spell it. Uh, that's a concern to me. Is, is he really paying attention to where the criminal justice system needs to go? So I'm here you know, with my background in, in civil rights and criminal law Trying to make a difference, trying to reform our criminal justice system. I thank all of you for being here. This is this is a, a a mission that's extremely important to our community. This is a moment in time when we can do it, and I ask for all of your support to make that happen. So thank you very much.
0: You are listening to Spotlight Nineteen.
1: It was so great to hear from both March Gallagher and Dave Clegg, who are both running for these Ulster County-wide offices. Offices. And if you look back to the 2018 election when Antonio Delgado became our congressman, Ulster County was really the county that carried him over the finish line. There was great turnout here. There's a huge Democratic advantage, but we know that in off years, these Democrats don't necessarily come out to vote. So if you're a listener here in Ulster County, please make sure you vote. You can vote early starting on October 26th, and you can do so every day until November 3rd. There are various locations around the county. Um, And make sure you sign up for some way to volunteer. There's so many options available, from bringing food to a Canvas location, from uh, writing postcards, which I'm kind of doing at night, every night, writing a postcard here and there. There's going to be phone banking set up because we really need to have this blue local government here in Ulster County, because you see with the election of County Executive Pat Ryan, he's implementing a Green New Deal right here in Ulster County. He's making these steps that we know Donald Trump is trying to undo, but it's so nice to live in a place where these measures, these actions are being taken to kind of fight back against this agenda that's really propelled us to make this podcast and propelled so many of you to be our listeners so please contribute in any way you can to our local elections from your town elections to your village elections to our countywide elections um, wherever you may be in new york 19
0: and don't forget uh, early voting has finally come to new york state now you have one more convenient option to cast your ballot this election season I'm reading from the Ulster County Board of Elections website. For nine days, October 26th through November 3rd, you can vote at one of seven polling sites around Ulster County. Uh, Hours of operation vary, but include a mix of day, evening and weekend hours. To find out more which site and hours work for you best, I would go to Ulster County Board of Elections website, which is Ny. Gov. That's elections.alstercountyny.gov and if you Google Alster County Board of Elections I'm sure you'll just you'll find you can just click on that and get to their website and um, yeah, good luck. And that wraps up our show today. Thank you so much for listening to Spotlight 19. We look forward to seeing you out in the field and at the polls. You can be sure that we will be back Until then, keep the faith.